Our scripture reading is from Hebrews 11, 32-40 on page 1008 of your pew Bibles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for it teaches us who you are, and it teaches us how to love you and how to obey. We ask that you would open our hearts to believe and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. The word of God for the people of God. We are finishing up this roll call of faith. Um, as the writer of Hebrews has rehearsed, many of the, um, those who have gone before us and trusted in God and, and shown what, it, what faith is. And as uh, he does so, um, he's kind of just one after the other. You know, we're, we're kind of getting bombarded with several just piled on top of each other. Um, but notice how this um, conclusion kind of follows coming into the promised land, right? And so what I want us to remember is that part of what Hebrews is reminding us is, is that faith that saves is a faith that perseveres. And the way it uh, kind of shows that from a biblical example, you will remember, is that people came by faith out of Egypt. They, they left the, the land of slavery, the land of um, bondage, and they entered into the promised land. And the, the point being that it was faith that leaves you, but faith that brings you in. And we need to persevere because in our earthly walk, in our life as a Christian, we have left through repentance, we have left sin and death, yet we have not entered into glory until our last breath, that we persevere to enter into that promised land. And so as he rehearses all these um, individuals, he does so kind of finalizing entering into the promised land and then starts saying, but it continues. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. In other words... There's more going on than receiving and inheriting the promised land that something's going to bring up. But let's look through some of these individuals because 
Again, when I hear, here's an example of faith, I think of someone who has no doubts, who steps out, trusts that everything is going to be great, and boldly follows God. And then I hear the name Gideon. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon was such a coward that when the angel came to call him and called him mighty man of God, he was threshing wheat, um, hiding out in a way that was very inefficient to thresh wheat, but also so that he couldn't be discovered by the neighboring tribes who would destroy him. He was hiding. He was a coward. And, and then when he was called to go and, and to lead God's people as a judge, do you remember? He didn't say, I trust I will go. He says, all right, how about we do this? Let me throw out this fleece. And the ground gets all wet and the fleece stays dry and it happens. And he says, how about best two out of three? Let's, let's try this. Let's, let's throw this fleece out. It's not like this immediate bold faith. It's a really hesitant, doubting, and yet it goes. He is trusting. He eventually goes and it does faith. We hear of Samson. If Samson was a minister on our Presbyterian roles, he would be meeting with the ministerial committee about his involvement with pagan women and things. I mean, this is not an exemplar of moral purity. And you're wondering, God chose this kind of guy? Jephthah, David, Samuel, Barak. Barak, it's the name of the military leader who operated under the judge Deborah. You remember Deborah was called a judge and she sends Barak and Barak says, I'm not going unless you go with me. Not the example of faith that we talked about. Yet he did and he trusted. It was faith. And so what we see is a faith that stumbles, a faith that has doubt, a faith that, that is much like ours, right? It's a, it's a faith that believes and still says, what if? A faith that believes yet still we stumble to make it fully who we are. David, who's, who is known as much for his failures and sin as his um, leadership. And, and so we see these, and it's a good reminder that there's room for more hesitant, doubting, stumbling believers who do have faith. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the sword, escaped the edge of the sword, were made it strong out of weakness. In other words, he continues with the, the, the faith uh, by looking at things that had happened. You'll remember, stopped the mouths of um, lions. We think of Daniel, quenched the power of fire. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they made strong and weakness, mighty in war. And we hear the stories all through the Old Testament. And, and, and it starts to bring us even more that women received back their dead from the resurrection. He's, he's reminding us of some stories where women who had lost their sons trusted in the time of Elijah, the time of Elisha, they um, are brought back from the dead and even in hearing this, our, our, eyes have, our ears have to pick up because those who believed, the, the prophets certainly had faith, and yet the women themselves were also Gentiles, not part of God's people. There, there's not only the sense of this continuing of those who have inherited, but now it's going beyond the family of Abraham and, and pointing to us who are going to inherit this great promise. And so we might be 
kind of getting the sense of God's people living this wonderful, victorious life as they have believed and as they have trusted how God's faith has brought them and delivered them into a promised land and brought them out of the dangers of the lion or the dangers of um, the, the, the fiery furnace, the dangers of sword. And we kind of might start getting the idea that faith is something that blesses us and gets us out of trouble. And certainly there are times that faith does that, that faith in trusting in, in these um, God uses that faith to deliver his people from the Philistines, to, um, to overcome enemies and to protect them. But if we look at only at those, we might get the idea that that is the total pattern. We might get the impression um, that would be proclaimed on um, some television sets this morning if you turn the TV on before coming to church. Uh, you might be hearing preachers telling you that if you have enough faith, that disease will leave your body. That if you have enough faith and send us enough money, evidence of that faith, your money problems will go away. If you have enough faith and faith enough to, to send this, man, I hope somebody's not just you know, on Facebook right at this moment. You know, if, if you have enough faith, your children will be okay. If you have enough faith, you won't be sick. And there are those who teach that if there's any problem in your life, it's a lack of faith. That's absolutely a lie from hell. It is not what Scripture says. What does Scripture say? Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. In other words, Here's a whole list of others throughout the Old Testament, throughout the, the period of the Maccabees, the, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, up until the time of people they probably knew by name who suffered, not in spite of faith, but because of faith. Do you see? Because you're trusting and doing things and living different from the way of the world, it's not always that God uses that to bring you blessing and bring you out of trouble. Sometimes God is using that faith, and, and in, because of that faith, you follow our Christ in his suffering. And so this idea that if you're believing hard enough that you won't have bad things happen to you is not what the Scripture shows. We see here those who, because of their faith, they were mocked. They were beaten. The, the reference to one sown in two is probably referring to Isaiah, the understanding that the prophet Isaiah was uh, martyred in that way. And they would have known those who would have been kicked out and ridiculed and faced difficulty and harm because they were faithful and they trusted. And so faith also means the potential for suffering, which we saw earlier in this list. And so it's not that they suffer because they didn't have enough faith, they didn't get enough good from this world. Whoa, it is that the world was not worthy of them. This world that values the things apart from God is not worthy of those who are willing to give their life in faith and trust to following Jesus and doing what Jesus calls us to do in spite of what the world thinks. So we're given this list, 
and, and just overwhelmed. And I, I think this is kind of bringing it up to the time of the Hebrews, uh, the, the, those who are receiving this letter. And for them, it has to have the implication, there's room for you. The list isn't finished. Names and names and names and things and things coming up now. And it's the sense of, and it includes us. And so we who now hear it, it includes us. That this, this, they played their part, as we're going to see in chapter 12, that you, you run your race, then you hand on the baton, and it goes to the next generation. And so now we stand really recognizing there's room for us uh, because all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, they went into the promised land, but the promised land was pointing to something more. It was a rest beyond just the rest in that land. All these, they were faithful, they had faith, they should be commended, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So in other words, these all lived waiting for that promise, and they received things that pointed to that promise. In receiving, um, and, and the promise made to Adam and Eve was the promise of the Savior to come. Uh, the blessings to the nations is pointing to Jesus. David's promise of kingdoms is pointing to the king and Jesus. All of these are pointing to Jesus. They're not inherited yet. And so even as they receive what's promised, they didn't receive the fullness of what that is being given. And now writing to those on the other side of the cross, now that Jesus himself has come in the flesh and has gone to the cross to suffer for our sins and redeem us and bring in his kingdom, now they see that he is the one uh, that is to be received. And yet even that is awaiting the fulfillment, awaiting um, the culmination of all that Christ is because we are here now. We have a better uh, view of what that promise is. We can look back and see more of the fullness of who Jesus is than Abraham could. We can see more of the fullness of what God's kingdom is, having the revelation of Christ himself than David did. And yet, we still await the kingdom. We're, we're still receiving. We're still trusting. We've gotten something more. There's room for us. We're brought in. And yet, there's more to come. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And that idea of perfect is not moral perfection. The idea of the perfect is complete, fulfilled. There is a, a, a number for which Christ has died, and they are being brought in. And until we're all here, it's not complete. In other words, as he's writing, he's saying, um, apart from us, they should not be complete. That, that David's promise would not be fulfilled until the recipients of this letter were brought in. And until the ones they shared the message were brought in. And until you were brought in. You're a part of that number that's making it complete. You're those for whom Christ died to be brought into his family. You're, you're part of this. And it's not just us, but it's those who will hear because of us. It's those who will come after us. It's those who, after we're long gone, who will be, God willing, in these pews, worshiping because you are here to share the faith with others and hand it on. So 
It's not perfect until we're all here, which this is the big point. You are needed. If, if it's the idea that we are saved, but we're not saved individually, it's not that Jesus died just so that we individually can have a relationship with him, but that we are brought into this people. We are brought into this community. We're brought into his body, the church. And so salvation is not just salvation of individuals. It's salvation of all of us. And until that is complete, it's not made perfect. And so you are needed. And if that is the case of our salvation, that my salvation is not fulfilled until everyone is brought in, I'm missing something when you're not part of us. You're, you're missing something. You know, I think a lot of times we think of going to church and being part of the church is you come in and you, you hear the message and you get something and you sing and you've kind of built up yourself for the week and you go back. And there's absolutely part of that. We're commanded to gather together. We're to keep the Lord's day and, and we grow by hearing the word. As I said in earlier service, some of you might look at more as kind of your penance. You're making up for the bad things you've done by coming to listen to a sermon. However you look at it, it's not just individual. Because as you come in, we're the gathering of the saints that you are ministering to one another. And so we need you. We need everyone. God has gifted you, and those gifts are to be used to build up one another. And so we need, as you come and as you teach, as you share your insights from Scripture, as you bring um, your, your prayers, as you bring your songs, as you bring your experience and wisdom, as you encourage one another and just uh, as we gather that you pull someone aside and, and comfort or grieve or rejoice or show your love and care to one another, as you build one another up, all of us, from, from the youngest member to the oldest are part of this and are needed. And so I encourage you that, that being, being away and not being part of what we're doing is not just something that hurts us as individuals to be absent, but it's removing something God has given to this congregation from being here. And I think we kind of get that, but let me, let me send it a little bit more. We not only need your strengths and your wisdom and your gifts, we need your weakness and your needs. How can a Christian do what Christ has commanded him to do by bearing one another's burdens if you don't share your burdens with one another? How can the church do what Christ has called us to do of serve one another if we don't know your needs. Because I, I think it would be so much easier to get people to, to do things and, and give and to, to serve and to work than to admit, I have a need. I have a burden. I have a doubt. I'm not sure about this. I'm struggling here. And just we all know how much harder it is to say, here's where I'm failing and I need something than it is to say, hey, let me help you, I can, I can do something. It is so much harder to share our needs. But if the church is gonna be the church, that means as we're showing kindness and patience, as we're giving of ourselves, as we're bearing one another's burdens, as we're giving to those in need, if we don't know the needs, if we don't know the concerns and the doubts and the struggles, we can't grow in those ways. We can't do what Christ has called us to do. 
So the fullness of the church is we need everyone whom Christ has redeemed. And we live that out day by day, week by week, with one another, bringing not only our gifts, but also our needs. And in that, we serve and we grow and we mature. And we reach out to others, knowing that it's not perfect, it's not complete until all he has called have responded and come in, and that we get to be part of that, making that full. Would you please stand as we say what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed?